Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas. I am your host and unconscious mind expert, Jenea Barnes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. I am very excited because, as you guys know, I like to play with reprogramming the brain. And I'm here today with Sue Cook, and she is a neurodevelopment brain whisperer. She does very, very cool things in reprogramming the brain to create better lives. So, Sue, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do? So, um, hi, everyone. I'm a mom, and uh, um, I, I trained in health. I specialized in homeopathy, and I was doing that for years. And then my older son was born, and uh, it turned out he'd got quite severe dyslexia. And I was told, there's no cure. You have to learn to live with it. And I thought, nah, that's not an option around here so I started looking for answers to sort him out <laughs> and I discovered this whole world of neurodevelopment and brain rewiring so I started doing that on him and our lives just completely changed and people started flocking in from everywhere to get what we were doing and thus uh, an accidental new career was born where I was just helping people from all over the world ended up writing loads of books and, um, and talking to you now fast forwarding 15 years <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really, really interesting journey that I never predicted or planned. It wasn't what I set out to do at all. And um, it was really just solving problems as we went. And it created all of this, which has been rather wonderful, really. Amazing. Amazing. One thing I really love about your particular path is the way that the health and the mind have coincided. And we know now scientifically, I mean, I think a lot of spiritual traditions have known for a very long time, but the science people now know that the mind and the body are 100% connected. And so your thoughts feed yeah. your body and the food you have feeds your mind. And I love that you started in this place of health and natural things to heal the body and then you worked into shifting into rewiring the brain with brains that were um you talk about discovering what is it neurodevelopment delay and that is one yeah. of the causes or is it the main source of dyslexia and other brain conditions, brain wiring conditions? So neurodevelopmental delay really is a result of ha they're having a break in development. So when, when a little um, baby's developing in utero, if there are any breaks in development, then you can have symptoms later on, which will obviously show after you're born. They're not going to show when you're in utero. <laughs> um, so, and it's, <laughs> it seems to be that the, the further along a pregnancy is, the milder the symptoms will be. And the earlier on, on in the pregnancy that something may have interfered with or interrupted development, the more severe they're likely to be. So and sometimes these things can happen at birth and sometimes afterwards. So you never really know. Um, but the, the net effect really is a neurodevelopmental delay. But a delay, again, could be a misnomer um, in that you won't necessarily catch up if you don't have um, knowledgeable intervention to uh, redress the uh, 
the delay incident that occurred so any any interruption in that so we just really go back and smooth it all out so that the brain works more efficiently as if it had never been interrupted in the first place that's the aim anyway right do you know what kind of things i don't know first of all i'm going to just put this out there i don't want anyone to start if you have a child that has some brain kind of thing going on don't want anyone to start blaming themselves for something they may or may not have done during pregnancy so that's first off um are yeah. there to your knowledge things that potentially lead into that or um potentially cause it or yeah anything like that to your knowledge or is it just really well we generally we we generally classify it as just shock. So anything that can shock or um, affect the growing baby um, can potentially interfere with it. So it can be a shock that the mother is aware of or not aware of. But we, when I was learning neurodevelopment, my teacher said to me, "We never worry about the causation because then you know parents can get anxious." So really, we worry about sorting out the issues that, that are with the result. Um, so that then creates a much more um, enabling environment for parents to enter so that they're not concerned about anything they may or may have done or not done which is do, do you like that I, I do it that's always worked for me yeah a, I mean yeah. it's really interesting because in some of the work I do especially a lot of the emotional clearing that yeah we do and we cleared it out of the nervous system and we trust the unconscious mind to take you back in time to the very first time you felt that emotion. And when we're pregnant, we're, you know, the body, whatever the mom experiences, the baby experiences. So if you have a flood of sadness, the baby's going to be flooded with the neurochemicals of sadness. And yeah. a lot of times when we have that when i have my clients go back in time and let the trust the unconscious this is the thing none of this is conscious but your unconscious mind remembers everything trust your unconscious yeah. to bring you back to the very first event where you felt that emotion or the sensations of that emotion and oftentimes it is in the womb and yeah. so it'll be this you know maybe we're dealing with anger and i mean we're human people. Humans have an emotional experience. If someone was going to go through an entire pregnancy with like, I'm not going to have any emotions the whole time. So that my baby is perfect. Well, you probably want to flood that baby with love. Like, why not start flood? Like, <laughs> so, <I'll> start, yeah. <laughs> so do not try to turn off your emotions. And besides turning off your emotions actually creates more distress in the body and is will potentially cause more distress for your baby. Yeah, I would agree completely with everything you just said. <laughs> because, <laughs> I think as as a parent, you know, parenting is such a blame game because you, you know, you're always worried about what you've done or worried about what you may, you know, the effects of everything that's going on and the traumas and stresses of everyday life and you know, chuck a divorce in there or whatever. And then, you know, you've got all these issues that you, you can have. And yeah, we, we always worry about them, you know, nonstop every day, don't we? So it's, you know, it's a big thing that, right. yeah. So that, that's the way I handle it really is to kind of minimize stress in the parents because 
when the parents come to me, they're often at their wits end anyway. They're often at breaking point. I've had that so many times. And so, um, yeah, I like to create an, a really enabling and accepting environment where we just solve, solve the problems and work forward with what we've got to improve their lives. And um, that's always been my modus operandi, especially in the clinic, because one of the other things of dealing with um, children who are used to being told off in class, used to being made wrong, used to failing and you know, and upset is 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 that they they don't necessarily feel confident enough to join in with stuff because they know that it's just going to go wrong. They're going to get told off, etc. So when I worked in the clinic, I was um, described myself as being part children's entertainer and part mad scientist. So and I and I worked with the entire family. So we didn't single the child out, right, there's something wrong with you. Let's find out what it is, you know. So I would I'd work with all of them. So um, and I'd often say to the child, you again, do this little game on mummy and see how she does or daddy or you know, and to, to bring everybody in so that they weren't the one in the spotlight. And that worked really well too because um, they they then could see that everybody, you know, behaved differently or performed differently in that environment. And it was it was again uh, yeah, it was it was good fun. We had a lot of fun in the clinic. Well, it's interesting too because I, you know, I work with the behaviors and the habits and all of that stuff and a lot of self-worth stuff. And yeah. you're talking about when you're talking about kids particularly, and I think a lot of us, whether we have dyslexia or autism or whatever we might have or just a totally normal brain, have these moments in these experience where we feel like we're wrong. Like we feel like we have to get it right no matter what, or somebody's not going to love us. And this wires beliefs into our head and it really shrinks us down from being all that we really are and all that we can be. And if you've got some, you know, and a lot of the things that you're talking about and that you work with don't show up until kids a little bit older. And the work that I know, I know these emotions and these beliefs are often formed before the age of five. And that's before a lot of this stuff really shows up. So if you're already wiring into your kids unconsciously, nobody's doing this to their kids on purpose. Uh, (laughs) You're uh, unconsciously wiring into a kid that they're not good enough or they're not perfect enough. And here's one of the, well, real quick, when we talk about parents and thinking whether they did a good job or a bad job, you know, we talk about therapy and all that stuff and you go back and it's always the parent's fault, right? You have some parents that are like, it's always the parent's fault, but I did my best. I mean, all parents, all people are doing their best with the resources that they have. And yeah. some of these beliefs and these things happen because of a moment like you could be putting, mom could be putting a fire, or dad is putting out a fire literally on the stove and little Joe's t- pulling on the pants saying, you know, pay attention to me. I need attention. And obviously making sure the house does not go up in flames is more important in that moment. But the kid doesn't see the flames. The kid doesn't understand the danger. And then they might make up a belief oh, that must be because mommy or daddy doesn't like me. And then they look for evidence to support that throughout their life. And they they will find evidence because we always find what we're looking for. That's the nature of the brain. 
So absolutely. Again, just going back to we're not, we're not, there's no blaming parents here. You know, we always do the best we can and, you know, kids have their own minds and will make up their own stories when something is overwhelming or doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When I first screened my son, there's one of the things we do in neurodevelopment is we do a screening and that's to just find out the current status of the brain. And that's what we intend to sort of improve as we work through it. But my son, um, none of none of his functions were working. I'm like, how does he get out of bed in the morning? How does he deal with anything? You know, with when his when his uh, senses are that compromised and it was very humbling, actually. Um, and I, I that's why um, I always have witnesses present when I screen people so that they can see for themselves what somebody's working with and how well they're doing given the limitations that their current brain status has on what's going on so uh yeah absolutely and it's never about making anyone wrong it's yeah like you say i like that and I, that's my philosophy too it's like we're as parents and stuff we're doing our best we're always doing yeah. our best yeah yeah it's lovely tell me a little bit more about the screening and what shows up you said you said you had this realization with like wow i can't believe he's like in, in this sense it's almost i'm hearing this as a realization like it is so he is so powerful that with all of this going on in his head he still yeah. gets up in the morning uh so yeah. can you share a little bit about yeah. like what goes on in a child's brain that's going through or really a human's brain, right? We're humans. <laughs> yeah, so, so my son had been diagnosed with dyslexia. So he'd gone through a series of tests with an um, educational psychologist. They'd performed a load of tests and they'd come back with this box of results. Okay, now, none of that um, crossed over at all into the screening I did and the results I subsequently found. So we'd got a diagnosis of dyslexia and I'd been this, told there's no cure. So. Um, after I found my my mentor in Oregon that, that trained me in neurodevelopment, um, she sent me this screening, but I didn't do it straight away on my son. I thought, I'm, he's you know, got enough to deal with. I'm going to do it on myself. So I did. I did it on my ex-husband. I did it on his parents, and I did it on my parents. So by now, I've screened six people, got quite experienced at it, got a fairly good idea of what results look like and stuff. So all of my ex-husband's family were completely neurotypical, and none of mine were. It looked like my dad had got quite bad ADHD, my mum had dyslexia, well, dyscalculia, and so on. And so I screened Toby, and one of the tests you do is you test for um, tracking. So you, so you keep your head still, move a finger, and you follow, say, uh, an object and see if the eyes can keep up. So it's you know, diagonals and all that. He had none of that going on. He had no 3D vision. So the ability to touch the top of my finger like that absolutely couldn't do it. He spent 10 minutes going like that. So his eyes were not yoked. So he had no depth perception. Um, people who have that tend to, you know, fall down steps, bang into things a whole lot because they've got no um, concept of um, where anything is in space. Also, um, his pupils weren't contracting properly, so there was too much light coming in. Again, that's like having snow blindness. He also had Erlen syndrome, so he couldn't look at white paper. So this just, just those eye symptoms alone put pretty much every classroom skill out the window, apart from right. listening. So um, he, um, he, 
when he was in the classroom, he'd sit, sit and rock and stare at the ceiling. We soon got him over that when we started the neurodevelopment, but it was it was pretty horrible for him. Um, what else did he have? He'd like to ride a bike at three, so there was some really interesting balancey stuff going on. But for him, it was all in the eyes. It was all in the eyes. So mm. once we began the neurodevelopment program, it took him 17 days to get 3D vision. And that was pretty amazing when that happened. It took him about three days to get tracking. He had no tracking skills whatsoever. And uh, I used to stand about 20 feet, 30 feet away from him and move my arm in a big thing from distance and he'd follow it. And then, you know, and then up and down right from a distance. He could do it from a distance, then I'd get closer. And then one day, three days and it just clicked. 17 days for 3D vision and then we started working on making his pupils react to light. The uh, Erlen syndrome took quite a long time, that took over a year I think, but some of his symptoms did take a lot longer, but absolutely with dyslexia is a lot of eye symptoms as i've described i mean you right. had all of them really so <laughs> and how old was he when you first started the neurodevelopment he was six but i mean i knew there was something right. he was he was kind of old but, but there was something different about him i'd got 10 nieces and nephews and he was definitely different at birth but um and he never played with anything he never picked anything up which now we know is because he couldn't see right. or interact with it <laughs> so why so he wanted to go outside with me and walk all day and listen so i'd tell him things and right he knew about and nature and stuff what were you going how to say? was his language was he able to communicate with you how cool or different or amazing or terrible things like were from the before and after kind of perspective? Well, what's interesting, um, at the age of three, four, five, he could discuss degree level quantum physics. So he would talk about string theory, M theory. He would talk about the way sound and light moved around planets and was therefore magnetic and all this or whatever. I don't even understand it myself. And I'd say, <laughs> I don't really know what you're talking about. We need to go and investigate this. And it turned out it was string theory and M theory. He just knew. And um, yeah, so, so he was intellectually incredible um, as a you know very, very young child. Amazing, amazingly clever. Um, just wouldn't interact with anything to, you know, that was 3D, like touching it. He would listen though, listen and learn. And then he started school and he had no classroom skills. So they all thought he was really, really backward. Right. You know, they didn't want him in the school. They didn't want him there. And they said, no, can you just, you know, take him out? And we said, no, <laughs> give him a chance. He's five or six at the time. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a tricky few years of dealing with an incredibly bright child who couldn't show that in a classroom environment. Right. And that was really frustrating for him. And did, was he able to communicate how things were better for him or worse for him as he started to get the 3d vision and other yeah. things yeah it was amazing and once he got the tracking that changed his life because he could now um, when you don't have tracking it's like sitting in the back of a bumpy car looking through binoculars you know so everything's bouncy and there's no mm. there's no flow so if I, if I do this you know my arms are in front of the wall and the wall is over there and I can see it all and I can see the flow. If you've got no tracking, if you're, for example, walking down the street, the telegraph poles will be bouncing with oh. you because your eyes can't, Right. there's, there's no movement in your eyes to, to smoothen your environment. So everything's jumpy and bouncy and sharp and that makes your environment exhausting. Right. It's an exhausting environment to be in because 
your your brain is having to constantly update and constantly translate that into sense. So yeah, you're not going to have time to sort of wave to your friend because you don't even see them. You're too busy, right. you know. So so people going on can seem very very strange. He got that in three days. That was an amazing transformation. When he got the 3D vision, I must share this with you. It was so sweet. We were doing the exercises in in our bedroom. Um, and um, we had a huge rug on the floor. It's quite a big room, and it was a sleigh bed. So and we, at the end of the exercises, we'd sit down, have a cuddle, and talk about it. So we had our, our feet up like that, and then there'd be the sleigh bed at the end and the wall behind it. And all of a sudden, after this night of exercises, 17 days in, all of a sudden he starts going, oh, my God, oh, what? Look, oh, my, wow. And he was just doing all this, and I'm thinking, is this good or is this bad? And right. I said, what? <laughs> going like this. Yeah. And I, and I eventually said to him, you're freaking me out a little bit. Is this good or is this bad? You know, how can I help you with this? And he just kept on going like this, just going, mummy, my feet are in front of the edge of the bed and the edge of the bed is in front of the wall. And I went, you've got wow. 3D vision. And he was going, yeah, yeah. And it was so good. And he said, will it stay? Will it stay? Will it go back to how it was? And I went, well, if you keep doing the exercises, it will stay. And he's just spent a couple of minutes doing that looks to sort of you know gauge the depth of things and then he looked round at my bedside cabinet lotions potions books you know and he went it's so complicated <laughs> but that really changed his life getting 3d vision because right. um he could then do sport because when you haven't got 3d vision it's very difficult to you know run up to kick a ball or catch a ball right. so you don't know where it is you know right. and um but he got that so that really was transformational. Then he got really quite good at rugby for a while, but he was never that interested in sport. I almost imagine, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw the, in, in England, if you guys saw the movie way long ago, The Blair Witch Project, but the- Oh when, no, I didn't see it. No, but the I thing with the, the thing with the cameras, like right, as they're running through the woods and it's all choppy and, and it was really very, you know, it was meant to be disorienting. It was meant to be like almost what you're describing. So if anybody can remember that movie, I imagine, and of course, obviously I'm not in your son's head, but I imagine <laughs> that your vision would be something like that because if you're moving and everything's moving with you, that everything's just like crazy. Yeah. And yeah. yeah getting out of bed in the morning would be terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And he did, yeah, he did say to me when, when he'd got over quite a lot of his problems, because he sort of worked it out after, I don't know how long it was, maybe a year, maybe two. And he said to me, um, he said, mum, thank you for helping me do this. And he says, not only have you changed my life, but you've changed yours because you, you, you know, he said to me, you love me so much. You've made so much effort to, sort me out when no one else could and he and he was just you know expressing gratitude and I think that was him as a sort of eight-year-old who he's always had a sort of a really mature and insightful way of looking at things which is, I've always found incredibly humbling and so much empathy one of my friends died and he said to her partner um he said I'm only eight I don't know how I'm supposed to communicate with you on this but I just want you to know that um, it seems like a really, really big, sad thing. And I want you to know that, you know, I care. And that was, you know, his way of kind yeah. of, you know, how many well, eight-year-olds do you know have got that much wherewithal? How many 40-year-olds? Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, <laughs> usually it's just yeah. like, I'm sorry. 
and then everyone gets awkward and weird. Like that is just genuine heartfelt communication about what's coming from the heart. And can you imagine what life would be like if we all just were free to communicate? I mean, that's the thing. It's one of the reasons why I love what I do is because a big part of the reason we're not free to communicate that freely is because of these beliefs and behaviors that we've wired into our brain because of our experiences and the stories we've made up about them. And we had floods of emotions. So we decided that, oh, I can't say what I'm really thinking because somebody will get mad at me or whatever it might be. And those feelings of fear that somebody's going to get mad at you, like is wired in your brain as a trigger. And so now when you try to communicate, you're like, um, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Bye. <laughs> or something, <laughs> <laughs> something yeah. like that. And it's like, um, but being able to have that compassion and emotional fluidity to just be able to be honest and heartfelt. And that is huge. That is so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a special kid. He's really lovely. He was always had that and my younger one too. Yeah. But so much um, care for people. Right. And these days you are working, you've set up, most of your child programs as like video courses. So if, um, you know, any of you out there are listening, you can do that so that you can start helping your child. Um, But you're also working these days with adults with these similar things with, so tell me about the different conditions that you work with and the different things. And I'm assuming not everybody has a, labeled condition that you work with you know we we stick labels on things and I, yeah. I don't know I don't know that they're always necessary or the right label and sometimes they give us this identity that limits us yeah very much I mean I always say that labels are for jam jars however um, the labels that um, of people who, who've come to me for help have had dyslexia dyspraxia dyscalculia Asperger's autism ADHD mutism uh and uh, that's what i was working with for years and then more recently i've been working with a um, a woman who broke her spine when she was a teenager and helping her improve her walking because she's she she doesn't feel her body that well but she can walk quite well and i was just improving that for her and i've worked with another woman who'd been diagnosed with um, a dementia type thing in her 50s and she couldn't remember what handles were for or how to use taps and things like that I worked with her and we yeah we saw improvements there and um and that was really lovely because I didn't know what was going to happen because I'd not worked with that right (laughs) Uh, but um anything you say about people who don't have um any labels yeah absolutely I've always said to um, my parents when I've had inquiries that you don't have to have a label to come if your if your child is suffering at school um let's have a chat and I'll see if they're the kind of um child that I know I can help or have historically helped so hopefully we can help you all so yeah it's it's um it's a very flexible thing neurodevelopment has lots of applications which is really lovely I mean that's one of the go ahead no, I was just going to say it's all surprised me how flexible it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like in the 1970s, 
They thought, oh, well, this is the way you are. Now that you're an adult, you are locked in. You are going to be this way forever. And we now know yeah. that that's not true. And yeah, they used to say, sorry, go, 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 go. <laughs> they used to say, <laughs> yeah, they used to say that there was a window of development around 18 months. And if you didn't get all your development clicked into that box, then, then, oh, sorry, too late. You know, the horse has bolted and all of that. Absolute nonsense, isn't it? So um, totally. I think there was a woman, what she, her, her book was Fixing My Gaze, Susan Barry, I think, Dr. Susan Barry, yeah. And she hadn't got 3D vision and she was always told she couldn't have it by all of the um, surgeons and everybody, whoever it was that she was meeting with. And she used to actually lecture at university saying, oh, there's nothing you can do about it. And then she met a um, uh, some sort of um, brainy person, I've forgotten. Um, oh, visual optometrist, I think it was. And they got her 3D vision in, in a while, same as my son did. So it is perfectly possible. Yeah. yeah, it's just knowing how, isn't it? Right. I mean, and that's the thing. It was, we, it's, I think that, I mean, I think it's still people are brought up with this idea that your brain is the way it was. It's going to be like you get to do all your development when you're young. I think people still are running around with that yeah, idea totally. and that perspective, because if it were, there would be a lot more people doing what I do and doing what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. And I mean, and, and maybe, and maybe that's good because I mean, I don't know. I'm making up a story right now that I'm not gonna <laughs> let get wired into my brain. But maybe that's good. Maybe that means the people that are doing it are much more passionate and dig deeper to find the information and learn it to be able to learn it well to be able to help people rewire their brain. It's like our yeah, brain is totally moldable and totally plastic. And I, I'm so yeah. curious about the uh, piece of working with somebody um, that was beginning to have signs of dementia. I mean, what like yeah. the possibilities of people with Alzheimer's and dementia and all of these things that... It's like, oh, we're, we just wait for you to decline and throw you in a home where everything yeah. becomes more and more confusing. And that to me sounds terrible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. terrible. Yeah. Um, obviously, you can never make anyone promises when you're working with them because you don't know the potential. You don't know what the right. outcome's going to be. So you can't, oh, yeah, you know, we're really successful at treating XYZ condition. You can never say that. Yeah. Um, all, all we can do is say, you know, we've worked with this successfully before, um, at least with the, the children, with the um, dementias and thinking in older people, there probably are limitations um, of, of what can be achieved. But I, I've worked with um, people in that category using nutrition. So what we find is older people don't absorb their nutrients as much as they should do they? I think it's fairly well known, isn't it? So right. um, even if they're eating foods, it's not necessarily being absorbed. So it's about cranking up everything to make them absorb their nutrients, putting them on a neurodevelopment program so that they can rebuild anything they've lost. 
and also um, getting any toxins out of their body. Sometimes people have heavy metals in their brain, things like that, which are uh, creating these problems perhaps or uh, magnifying them. So that's the kind of angle I, I take with working with um, adults who've got that going on. And that seems to have worked in, before, but not severe cases. I've not worked with anyone, right. anything severe going on, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, and I have no proof, I have no basis for any of this, but I know the stacks of trauma that I've healed and the stacks of beliefs and stuff that I've rewired in my brain. I wonder sometimes because our traditional society is that we stuff every down, everything down, right? We keep it in and we just power through. We keep going. And, you know, yeah. nobody talk about their, I mean, people talk about their problems now. Now they just talk about it in therapy and relive their traumas over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm not a fan of. There are actually really amazing therapists out there that don't have you do that, but some do. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, if you do. find, if you are in therapy and you're finding that your therapist is having you relive your trauma over and over and you're not feeling supported by it, speak up. And, you know, yeah. you, you get to, you get to decide what kind of therapy you get to have and find a really great yeah. therapist because there are good ones out there. Um, there are also yeah. other ways to heal trauma, but I wonder about as we get into Alzheimer's and dementia and with all of the crazy food and not real food that we've been putting in our body, the toxins and stuffing our emotions and not dealing with our past traumas, our past emotionally significant events and yeah. holding all of that stuff in and not dealing with it. It's a wonder that the brain can even continue to function. I know my brain power yeah. since I've done the healing that I've done, I have gotten so much smarter, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's there's room, there's things like my brain can actually focus on other things because it's my unconscious mind isn't trying to keep all this crazy stuff from my past down so that it doesn't affect me because it's my unconscious the unconscious mind is always number one priority is to preserve the body. And if I had to deal with all of my traumas at once or even at the age that they happened, it would have very likely could have killed me or maybe I would have done, you know, bad things to myself. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 Amazing, though, that you did that because there's a lot of bravery involved, isn't there, in facing up to what you've been through and um, changing your brain. There is a lot. So, yeah. Well done. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we get comfortable, right? We figure out a way to make it work. And I imagine a lot of people that would really help, that you could really help, they'll they'll figure out how to make their world, right? Make their world so that they can manage it. Maybe if they have really terrible social yeah. skills, they go and they work from home, right? They never leave their house. They make it so they can do everything behind yeah. a computer. And they're not living the fullest life that they could be. 
um, but they figured out how to make their life work for them. And that is that is what we as humans do. It's what our unconscious mind will do. It will set us up to try and make things work the best we can. But as we grow and shift and change, it's not always going to be the best thing. And it does, it takes bravery to step into that uncomfortable zone because you want more. Because our nervous system thinks that you're going to die when it feels uncomfortable feelings. And so it's a survival mechanism to not do anything uncomfortable. But in our world today, we are mostly safe in civilized world anyway, um, or what's labeled as civilized world. And we are mostly safe. And so those uncomfortable feelings do not necessarily mean impending doom. And we can push through them and create bigger, better things. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about some of the adults you've been supporting with the neurodevelopment okay i did just want to add something to what you just said though and our our brains love what is familiar and they will always go back to what is familiar and so you know with with your what you're talking about with the trauma and the comfort zones and all of that while we're staying within what's familiar we aren't going to do anything better than we're already doing because we're not reaching out of that or breaking out of that are we of that safety whatever totally that is so yeah 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 adults um so it's really interesting actually when you screen an adult you very rarely even if they've got loads of symptoms you very rarely find too many things in the screening um maybe one or two things um and so you have to really take notice of that because you could easily miss it Mm. Uh, whereas with children you know they'll have a whole bunch of things which even if they had exactly the same presentation of symptoms that a child and an an adult has when you actually screen them the adults will be all covered up and you know because adults hide you know got more experience of hiding rewiring it to cope and all sorts of stuff like that um but um i do i do enjoy um screening it's a really interesting process because you really get to see how somebody's functioning Um, and I've trained quite a lot of people to do neurodevelopment and often the people who've come to me have got quite a lot of symptoms themselves and we expose those straight away when we do the screening you know we of course we screen everyone just to see how how they're at so they've got some relative um, comparative point of view with other students in the room and stuff and you can compare what's going on and that's a really interesting thing and how it's affected their life you know, and, you know, trying to, you know, work around this this perceived weakness or whatever it is that they've got. It's, it's just a really interesting process. But yeah, we, we can help them too. Yeah. It, no, I didn't really answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You fed me so much interesting information. I completely <laughs> forgot the question. <laughs> like, I'm like, yes, totally. <laughs> Well, it was funny when you talk about, you know, we've learned these different ways of covering things up, right, of of hiding our weaknesses. And that is, I mean, Mm. that's specifically the stuff that I work on unwiring. I I say rewiring, but really I'm unwiring, right? It's like we go back to that 
that first moment when you decided to do a thing and we clear clean up the emotions around the thing we bring in some learning and we give you know resources to the smaller child that they didn't have then and your brain doesn't really know your your unconscious mind organizes things in time but it doesn't really know so when we go back in the mind um, and we clean up the emotions and we change the bring in some new learnings and some new resources the unconscious mind doesn't really know that it didn't happen back then it thinks that it did you still have all your memories and then um you come to sue and fix the rest of it (laughs) yeah or clean up the rest of it but it's it's powerful i mean we get superpowers from those ways of that we um, try to cover up our weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been really interesting. I've worked with over a thousand kids now, I've screened over a thousand kids and worked with them in the clinic. And that's a lot. And, um, it's, it's been, I always think to myself, what a privilege it is to work with people. Um, what a blessing it is to, to, you know, to be able to help them and, and yeah, just that whole journey of, you know, what's going to unfold. It's, it's been amazing over the years absolutely amazing I've never taken it for granted and I've always really really enjoyed the clinic and watching yeah. their progress and it's just it's it was yeah it's a really moving thing yeah it would <laughs> it would be so cool if somebody could invent a semi-accurate doesn't need to be fully accurate like algorithm like web weaving thing you could see because when you're working with the kids right you're catching them when they're young so the ripple effect of how you're going to affect so many lives is so big so that kid obviously you affect their family so their family is going to have a much fuller richer life because of it and then they grow up to do whatever they might grow up to do and especially if they've been trying to learn how to navigate the world in a very, when their brain's not organized in the best yeah. way, they do, they pick up some of those superpowers, right? And yeah. those things where that get them out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so it would yeah. be so cool. Like, I love that aspect of my own work where it's like, I help this one person and it affects every person they touch. So yeah. if you could see like a globe, like, you know, you see the, like the telephone little, I can't describe what I'm saying, what I'm seeing in my mind. I think you mean well. like a network, don't yes. you? When, yes. Like powering up a network. Yeah. Yeah. Global network. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like how cool would that be <laughs> if you could be like, oh, I helped this person and you could see the ripple of the network of how it will transform the planet. I mean, yeah. this is as we, yes, the butterfly effect, Holly said. Perfect. <laughs> totally. Do, do you remember that program? Um, I can't remember what it's called. It was an American program. Um, and the there was this man actor and um, he would be, he was like traveling through time backwards and forwards and he'd have a, a sort of a mentor who'd come in and talk to him 
and say, if you don't sort this out, all these things are going to go wrong. Oh, yes, it's, you've saved the day or whatever. And then he'd zoom right. out into another life. I've forgotten what it was called. Was it, was but, it Quantum um, yeah, Leap? That's... I think it was Quantum <laughs> Leap. Yes, okay. that was it. <laughs> yeah, Quantum Leap. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, watch I love the... Yeah, not too much for me either. But yeah, that I that effect of how much one moment can really change somebody's day. I love walking down the street smiling and yeah. you know, smiling at everybody I see and it's contagious, right? The smile. Yeah. So one of those it's you know again like that little butterfly effect it's was somebody just have a negative thought and your smile brought them back into a positive place and does their day yeah. go better and how does that ripple out it's like everything yeah. we do to create positive things in the world whether it be supporting people with their nutrition and yeah. whether it be supporting people with their brains <laughs> which is yeah. my favorite. Yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I had a quote um, years ago, if you see somebody without a smile, give them yours. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to power up their day. Yeah, it's just a nice thing, isn't it? I think it makes the world a nicer place if there's that lovely, happy vibe going on. That's true. And we got, I mean, one of the things, one of the things about brain wiring and the happy vibe, it is, you know, we do have more control over our brains than we think. And your mindset creates a lot of what you get in your life because we literally get what we focus on, right? If we're yeah. thinking about how terrible and awful people are all of the time, you're you're thinking about it, which means you're looking for it. You're tracking for it. Yeah. So you're not paying yeah. attention to me smiling down the street. You're going to be the yeah. six people that don't smile back because you're like, people are terrible. And you're only going <laughs> to see that people are terrible because it's what you're focused yeah. on. I mean, you can even think about doing a project when you're really focused on doing the project and your mind is not wandering, you power through it, you get it done. You get what you focus on. But when you're all la 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 la, yeah. I don't really wanna do this, you don't get it done because you're focused on not wanting to do it. <laughs> all right, so can you start to tell us, I know you've got a lot of things to offer. You have books, you have, programs you have ways that people can work with you specifically can you tell us a little bit about all the things uh oh are you frozen sometimes the internet does crazy things well i will just tell you guys a story about I don't know what I want to tell you guys a story about. Maybe, oh, I will tell you guys a story about one time smiling did not work. So I was walking down the street the other day and I was smiling just randomly down the street. And this girl said to me, it's like, don't you dare smile at me. 
Uh-oh, Sue dropped off. She'll be right back, I think. But the girl says, don't you dare smile at me. I don't like you in this neighborhood. How dare you smile at me? And what I realized, and this is, you know, good information for all of you all, is that when somebody has a reaction like that, it is because they have emotional triggers or beliefs and they are associating you with the source of their pain. So perhaps I'm making up stories here, but perhaps somebody like pushed her out of her house. Perhaps she has beliefs about certain people in her neighborhood, whatever it is, but she's projecting something that has happened to her in her life instead of actually being in the moment and dealing with the actual moment right now. So when people are spewing randomly some mean things at you, it has to do with what's happening with them internally. It does not have to do with what's about you. I mean, I guess unless you did something mean to them, but that's usually not the case when it's just coming at you randomly. This happens in the office. This happens in relationships. If you can step back. Oh, here comes Sue. She's back. I'll just finish this up. If you can step back and realize that more of what's coming out of their mouth has to do with what's going on internally with them than you, you will save yourself a lot of pain. They say, they say this phrase, don't think, take things personally. And that's what it's about. Welcome back, Sue. Um, so we were at that point where you, I wanted you to tell us about your books. You also make jewelry and tell us about your programs you have for the kids that people can buy online and how they can get in touch with you and work with you and tell us all the things. <laughs> uh Oh, oh no, I know I can't hear her. We are having technical difficulties. I can't hear you, Sue. All right. So, oh, she's dropping out. She'll come back. We'll see what happens. We had some technical difficulties this when we got on this morning. And so, no, yes, no. Okay. What I can say in case we don't get Sue back is that you can re you can check out her website at brainbuzz.co.uk. You can also email her at suecook at brainbuzz.co.uk. And she's written a few books on nutrition. And um, I know that she has helped solve big problems with really locating what it is that your body is reacting to. So learning how to really understand nutrition and another book that really gets into the brain food. That's a big one, you guys. We've been talking about the brain all day. So the books to eat for your brain to really support this. And here's the thing, you guys, our nutrition quality in most of our food is crap. It's terrible. It's awful. So 
the more you can put nutrient dense food into your body is incredibly going to be super supportive. It's one of the things that I really get frustrated about in poor neighborhoods is the grocery stores have such, they call them food deserts. There's no produce. There's no good food in the stores. It's terrible. And she also does nutrition for special needs. It's another one of the books. And if you want to reach out to her about your child, or maybe you're an adult with one of these conditions, or you think things are not quite firing the right way, or you have decided that they're not firing the right way for you, you can reach out to her via email to potentially work with her in person or Zoom. I don't know how she's doing them these days. Um, and the, her courses for the kids are on her website at thebrainbuzz.co.uk. And then there's the Etsy shop, which is Treasure by Susie. Three Zs. Oh, here that's a big thing, you guys. Three Zs in Brain Buzz. B-R-A-I-N-B-U-Z-Z-Z.co.uk. So scrap that other thing in your brain, brain buzz for now on in your brain forever will have three Z's. <laughs> All right. And for those of you that don't know me, I am Janaea Barnes. I am an unconscious mind expert. And I work with people to rewire behaviors, to heal emotional pasts. I work with trauma. I work to set you up to get to the root cause of whatever unconscious programming is getting in the way of you reaching your goals. And I'll tell you guys, it's never what you think. We sit here and say, well, I have this problem, this problem, and this problem. But when we trace it back and we get down to the root cause, it's always some, some other thing that we never thought. For me, one of my big ones was that I never felt safe and it layered into everything until I cleared that out. I still, I mean, I got better and better every time I cleared more stuff out. But once I cleared that out, I stopped hitting walls and I started really taking the leaps that I need to take in my life to fulfill my purpose. And I can help you do the same thing. <laughs> And if you, so if you want to reach out to me, you can book a free step-up call at JaneaBarnes.com. That's G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S.com. Or you can DM me on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm, I'm all the things. I do TikTok videos, <laughs> little snarky little things. <laughs> all right. So... Thank you, Sue, for joining us today. I love that our conversation did not get interrupted by our technical difficulties. And I think we got all the information out to everybody. You are such a joy and such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing the stories and your experiences and your thoughts. And we will see you guys all next time on self-sabotaging sagas bye guys
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment, give it a rating, pass it along to your friends, follow it. These actions help other people find this podcast, and I, of course, greatly appreciate it. Thanks again, and have a beautiful day.